Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Famous Belgian detective Hercule Poirot, and yes, I took French in high school so I can say that correctly, Hercule Poirot, he's on his way back to London and he finds himself on this train, the Orient Express. And there's a murder that happens on the train, and he has to discover who done it. So he goes through and he begins to interview every single passenger. He goes through the luggage. He does these interviews. And so I'm not going to give away the story because it has a pretty depressing ending. But Hercule Poirot is one of these famous detectives. He shows up in over 33 of Agatha Christie's novels. In um, 1989 to 2013 on PBS, there was the Agatha Christie murders with Hercule Poirot, that long-running series. Now, Poirot is known for being meticulous, being this investigative detective that takes in all the details. He can solve the crime and he can see things that other people can't because he's such a great Detective. He picks up on clues. He interviews suspects. He, he gathers all the information to try to solve the crime. Now, you may say, why in the world are you bringing up Agatha Christie and Hercule Poirot and Murder on the Orient Express and detective things? Why are you bringing this up this morning, Pastor Sean? Well, we begin the book of Luke. And one of the things we're going to find out about Luke is that he was a master investigative journalist, a master detective, if you will, not to solve a crime, but to compile evidence to prove the very life, death, and historical record of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to launch into the book of Luke this morning. And before you jump into a book, you've got to ask some questions. Like, we're just going to jump into the book. So we're going to get our bearings straight this morning and find out a little bit about Luke. So today's an introduction into the Gospel of Luke. And so we're just going to ask some key questions this morning to help us understand this book better. So here's the first question. It's a good question. Maybe the question you have. First, who was Luke? Who was Luke? Maybe that's the question you had. Who is this guy that wrote this? Well, we know that he was the beloved physician, Dr. Luke, the beloved physician. He was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He also wrote Acts. So he wrote Luke and Acts. He was part of Paul's missionary journeys. We find out in Colossians 4.14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. He's the beloved physician. 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in my ministry. So Luke was a doctor. He was a travel companion of Paul, but he was a highly educated Gentile doctor. And as a doctor, his, his ability to diagnose problems helps him to be a very good investigative reporter to get the eyewitness testimonies and provide accurate historical information about Jesus' life. Now, what makes Luke different than the other three Gospels is very interesting. 
Okay, what do we know about Matthew? Matthew was a disciple and an eyewitness. John was a disciple and an eyewitness. Mark, Mark's mother's house was used for Jesus and his disciples, and Mark got all of his information from Peter. Matthew, Mark, and John were all Jewish, or they were original disciples or a friend of a disciple. Luke is not Jewish. He's Gentile, and he was not an original disciple. He got all of his information secondhand. So Luke's very different than the other three because of that. Now, here's the second question. Maybe you've had this question, and you've just never thought to ask it. Here's the second question. Why are there four Gospels instead of just one? How come we just don't have the Gospel according to Matthew, and that's it? Why don't we just have Mark, and that's it? Why don't we just have John? Why do we have four? Well, I can give you the Sunday school answer because God wanted it that way. And that's why we have four. And that's true. That's because God wanted it that way. But let me just give you the reason why we have four. We have four Gospels because they're written to four different audiences for four different purposes and with four different theological issues. Now, some of the material is the same in all four. Now, I'm going to give a trivia question. Does anybody know the one story or the one account that's in all four Gospels? It's the only one that's in all four. Does anybody know what that is? It's in all four. I can't hear you. The what? No, no, it's the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 is in all four. Now, let me give you an illustration of, 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 of what, how this works. Let's say over at Walmart in the parking lot, somebody's backing out out of a space. And as they're backing out, somebody turns the corner and there's a, there's a crash. Okay, there's a crash in the car. Okay, so there's one event. There's a car crash. Now, if I were to go and get eyewitness testimonies of everybody that was involved in that car crash, they're going to tell me a different perspective. The lady that's backing up is going to see something different, and she's going to tell me one thing. The person that hits her is going to have another way of looking at it. The Walmart employee who's putting the stuff into the pickup area over there where you can drive up, they see it differently. The cameras on top of the building catch it differently. And then the employee or the person that's walking out of the other entrance that sees it's going to see something different. Now, let me ask you something. It's one event, right? What's the one thing that's common between all of them? The crash. The, the, the crash is undisputable. It happened. The question becomes, what's the different perspectives on the crash? That's the way the four Gospels work. It's the same event of Jesus' life. The question is, what are the different perspectives that are brought in to help us get a fuller picture of the life of Jesus? And so each gospel has its own flavor, its own perspective, its own aim. So, for example, Matthew is geared towards a Jewish audience to prove that Jesus was the Messiah prophesied by the Old Testament. That's what Matthew's focus is. Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed, shortest gospel, and it's geared towards Christians in Rome who are being persecuted. John, if you read John, John is totally different than the other three. It's more theological. It's got material that's not in the other ones. It's centered around seven miracles of Jesus. And then you have Luke, the historian, who wrote to a Gentile audience. Now, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, 
Luke contains things that some of the other Gospels don't. You're like, what does Luke contain that the other Gospels don't? Well, if you, as we'll study, I almost decided to call this sermon series Christmas in July. <laughs> because over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. And Luke has more birth narratives than any of the other Gospels. He's got the birth narrative of Elizabeth. And Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist. Simeon and Anna. Jesus as a young boy in the temple. Listen to some of the things that Luke contains that the other Gospels don't. Okay. Luke has the Good Samaritan. The other ones don't. Luke has the prodigal son. The others don't. Luke has the rich man and Lazarus. The tax collector and the Pharisee. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And the road to Emmaus. So Luke is different in its purpose. It's different in its makeup. The author is Gentile. He's not Jewish. He wasn't an eyewitness. He got his material from other people. And so here's the third question. Okay. Who is Luke's audience? Who's he writing to? Well, let's find out. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke because he tells us who his audience is and he tells us what his purpose is. Okay. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Most excellent Theophilus. Now, who's Theophilus? Most scholars believe Theophilus was probably a Roman official, probably a friend of Luke, maybe a recent convert to Christianity who had recently been taught the things of the gospel. So the audience is Theophilus, this man this beloved Theophilus. But notice what Luke does here. Luke says at the end of verse 3, he wanted to write an orderly account. That's probably the key thing here in Luke. Luke says, I want to write an orderly account. Now that could mean chronological, or that could mean I'm just going to give you the most information I can give you about Jesus. And so that's what we see there. Look at what happens. In verse 1, what does he do? In verse 1, he used multiple Sources. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Many. Multiple sources. Okay, in verse 2, he uses eyewitnesses. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So he uses multiple sources from eyewitnesses. And then in verse 3, he undergoes a careful investigation. It seemed to me having followed things closely. So what Luke does here is... Luke gives us the most detailed of all the four Gospels. The most detailed. Because Luke says, listen, I'm going to go compile source after source, eyewitness after eyewitness. I'm going to investigate. I'm going to compile an orderly account of Christ's life. And I'm going to write it to Theophilus. So with Luke, you have the most detailed of all the four Gospels. Luke is the, let me just tell you this, Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. That's why it's going to take us longer to get through it. It's the longest in material. 
And the reason why is because Luke says, listen, I'm going to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus, and I don't want to leave anything out. And so that's why his gospel has more material than some of the others that he got from numerous sources from eyewitnesses to add to its credibility. Who was Luke? The beloved physician. Who's his audience? Theophilus. Okay? Fourth question. What are the main themes of Luke? What are the main themes? Now, there's a lot of themes we're going to see over the next coming months. Luke has a lot of themes. But if you read the Gospel of Luke, there's three big themes that show up. The first one, I think, is probably the most important. The first most important theme, theme number one, is salvation through the forgiveness of sins to all people. One of the key words that shows up in the Gospel of Luke is save or savior. Jesus is presented as the savior, and especially through his forgiveness of sins to all peoples. One of the key passages in Luke is from Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost as Savior. Luke 1, 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So the gospel of Luke is to teach us about Jesus as our Savior. So let me just say this from the very beginning. If you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you haven't trusted him as your Lord and Savior, the Gospel of Luke is going to tell you how Jesus can be your Savior. And I would say today is the day to do that. If you haven't trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, would you do that today? So hang with us as we go through Luke. Because if you want to know who Jesus is, If you want to know what Jesus has done, if you want to see Jesus in action, if you want to know about Jesus, we're going to to dive into the, the depths of the water here to find out who he is. And so I would encourage you, if you have somebody in your life that has questions about Christianity, that wants to know about Jesus, that just curious, invite them to come to church or watch the live stream where they can hear about Jesus as Savior. It's the most important theme of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus as our Savior. All right. What's theme number two? Theme number two, not only is Jesus presented as Savior, but the work of the Holy Spirit. Luke is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. He talks more about the Holy Spirit than any of the other gospel writers. Luke 1.15, talking about John the Baptist. He will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine and strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So so John the Baptist is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit. His mother Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, his father, is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and produces the virgin birth. Simeon, when he was in the temple, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. At his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. When he comes out of the wilderness, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit is upon me because the Spirit has anointed me to preach the good news. And then at the end of Luke, Jesus tells his disciples, wait into the city until you're clothed with power from on high from the Holy Spirit. 
Last week we looked at Pentecost because it was Pentecost Sunday. Luke also wrote Pentecost. If you remember last week's sermon, we need power, purity, and preaching from the Holy Spirit. So one of the things I'm excited about is not only are we going to see Jesus as our Savior, but Luke's going to give us the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What does it mean to be filled or empowered or, or equipped by the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit's vital to our lives as Christians. He's the one who gives us the strength, the power to live the Christian life. So theme number one, Jesus is Savior of all peoples. Luke is a gospel written to the outcasts. He writes specifically to women, the poor, the Gentiles, and the outcasts. It's, it's, it's a gospel that goes out to all people. And that would make sense if you're a Gentile. The gospel is not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all peoples. And it's also about the Holy Spirit. But here's the third theme. It's the gospel of joy and singing. It's the gospel of joy and singing. Luke uses the word joy more than any other New Testament book, more than Paul. Luke uses the word joy. Joy shows up more in the gospel of Luke than in any other book in the New Testament and in any other gospel. So, Elizabeth, she's filled with joy at the birth of John the Baptist. The angels announce great joy to the shepherds. As you'll see, Jesus, when he's interacting with his disciples, he's often expressing joy. When people get healed by Jesus, they express joy at being healed. When, when Zacchaeus, the wee little man, comes down the tree, he responds with joy at seeing Jesus. It's the gospel of joy, and it's the gospel of song. Luke has three main songs, and we'll see them over the next few weeks. The song of Mary, the song of Zechariah, and the song of Simeon. It's the gospel of joy and singing. So this is an exciting gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus as your Savior. It's the gospel of, of the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel of joy and singing. So if you need joy in your life, let me just say this. Don't go seek for joy. Are you awake? Don't go looking for joy. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Sean. You got me confused. What do you mean, don't go looking for joy? I'll challenge your thinking as we go through our sermon series, but let me just say this. Don't look for joy. Look for Jesus. And when you find Jesus, the joy will come. We'll talk about I'm going to leave you hanging on that. So if you lack joy... This gospel's for you. If you want to know about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, this gospel's for you. If you want to know about Jesus being your Savior, this gospel is for you. Okay, so fifth question this morning. This is the main, the main point I have this morning, the biggest question. And that is this. Fifth question. What's the main point? What's the main point or the main purpose of the gospel of Luke? What's his purpose in writing? Every New Testament book, every Old Testament book has a purpose. A purpose in which the writer wrote it. What's the purpose? Well, we don't have to guess because Luke tells us what the purpose is. The purpose is in verse 4. He's right, so, so let's just track here. Luke says, listen, I'm writing an orderly account based upon numerous eyewitnesses and numerous sources. I'm investigating all of this, and I'm writing it to you, Theophilus, most beloved. And why am I doing this? Here's the answer, verse, verse 4. That, so that, 
That's why you know it's the purpose, because it says so that. So that you may have, now circle the word certainty. That's the key word in Luke. That you may have certainty. Some of your translations may say assurance. That you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So what's Luke's purpose? Luke's purpose is to say, Theophilus, I'm writing this to you, and by extension to all Christians, to establish you, to confirm you, to encourage you, to strengthen you in the faith so that you would have certainty over what you've been taught. You would have certainty. Peter uses that same word in his sermon at Pentecost. Luke records Peter's sermon and uses the same word. Peter says in Acts 2.36, Let all the house of Israel know for certain, have certainty. Have certainty to what? That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. So Luke says, Theophilus, I want you to be certain concerning the things you've been taught. Taught. Now that's where we get the word catechize or catechism. You've been catechized, Theophilus. You've been taught. Now, this doesn't mean that Theophilus was merely just given information and it went one ear and out the other. It was, he was actually discipled. He was taught. He was encouraged in the faith. And as I was reading this, and as I was thinking about this, why would Theophilus need to be certain of what he'd been taught? Well, we don't know, but many scholars would say that maybe Theophilus was undergoing persecution. And he's like thinking to himself, is this whole Christianity thing worth it? Or maybe he had doubts about the truth of Christianity. The word certainty there means that you are thoroughly convinced that the message of Jesus is true. You are thoroughly convinced of the truthfulness of the historical events surrounding the life of Jesus. Not just that you have the historical facts of Jesus embedded into your brain where you know cognitively it's more than just I know. It's I know these things to be true and I have a certainty in my heart and in my mind and in my soul that impacts how I live my life for Jesus. You may have been taught the Bible at a very early age, but are you really certain of what you believe? Here's a key question you've got to ask yourself. This is a key question every single person. I'm talking about children, even children, up to the oldest adult in here. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Because Pastor Sean told me. Eh, wrong answer. Because my parents told me. Eh, wrong answer. Do you personally, every single person, do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Now, some of you may say, you know what? I, I've got the, the what down. I know what I believe. I know the Bible stories. I've been taught the Bible stories. My parents have brought me to church. I know the what, but I really don't know the why. I'm kind of shaky on the why. I just kind of know the what because I've been brought up in church, but... I've been dragged here my whole life, so I've got these Bible stories crammed in my head. But when you sit down and, and ask me the question, I really don't know why I believe this. Some of you may know why you believe it. You're like, you're, I, I, believe, I believe this, but you're not quite sure about the what. I know why I believe it, but I don't know the Bible stories very well. I didn't grow up in church, and maybe I need to learn more of the what. You need to have both. Do you know what you believe, and do you know why you believe it? 
If you don't know either one of those, or you need to be strengthened in those two things, Luke is for you. Because think about it. There are times when you will doubt your faith. I've doubted my faith. I've doubted my salvation. There's times where you're driving down the road and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, is this whole thing true? Is this Christianity thing worth it? Is following Jesus what it's all cracked up to be? We sang it earlier. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We're prone to wander at times, aren't we? We're prone to have doubts. And Luke says, listen, I'm writing this thing that you may have certainty. Remember the father who wanted his son to be healed in Mark 9, 24? Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That doesn't make sense. I believe, help my unbelief. You ever been there before? I don't really believe, so help my unbelief. Later on in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 17, 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Have you ever been there before? I don't really believe, Lord, help me believe. I don't have a lot of faith, increase my faith. I'm struggling here. See, here's my concern. We live in an age of uncertainty. What does Luke say he's writing this for? That we would be certain. What type of culture do we live in? An uncertain culture. We live in a culture that's very uncertain. Look at our, you just have to look out the window and see the uncertainty. And if you come along as a Christian and say some things that are certain, like you say things like, Jesus is the only way of salvation, and I'm certain of that. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And without Christ, you're going to go to hell. The Bible is absolutely true. When you begin to say those things with certainty, what do people say? Who gives you the right to be so certain? You're being bigoted, you're being closed-minded, and you're being arrogant. You're being intolerant. You're being unloving. So here's my concern as pastor. I've seen way too many kids grow up in this church and leave this church and walk away from the faith because they didn't know what they believed and why. And they walk out the doors into an uncertain age that's going to bombard them with all of these things. And adults, you're going to feel it too. So more than ever, in an uncertain age, we need to start from the very beginning, of the foundation of the children, all the way up to the oldest adult in this room. We've got to be certain of what we believe and why we believe it. Because the culture is not going to support you in this. The culture is going to come against you. We live in a world of moral relativism. We live in a world of confusion. And we're sending our children into a world that's uncertain. And we as parents and we as grandparents and we as a church and we as a ministry have got to say together, we are going to raise all of us to walk out into the world and be certain of what we believe. Not because my parents said it, not because Pastor Sean said it, or not because of this or that. It's because, no, I've read the scriptures. I am certain it's my personal conviction. I believe it to be true because I believe it to be true. And Luke wrote it down for us. Aren't you glad he wrote it down for us? All of these eyewitnesses. He could have just gone and interviewed them and said, that's great. 
and never have written it down. 2 Timothy 3.15. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, Aren't you thankful God chose to have the Bible written down? Remember that game when you were a kid called Telephone? You get in a big circle of people, kids, and the first person would whisper something into somebody's ear, and then they would whisper it to the next person, and it would go all the way around to about 20 people, and you get to the end, and, and you actually, it had nothing to do with what they originally said. What would happen if the Bible was orally transmitted? It may not be as accurate as having it written down. So we have Luke writing down an orderly account for us so that we would be certain of what we believe. So here's the question. What have you been taught? Certain of what you've been taught. Some of you in this room have been taught since you were an infant. Some of you have been taught maybe recently. Has it gone in one ear and out the other? Are you certain of what you've been taught? Are you rebelling against what you've taught? You know, when I was reflecting upon this passage of Scripture at, at the beginning of the year, when, when I started doing my prep for, for Luke, I thought about something. Luke says, I want you to be certain of what you've been taught. Here's a reality. There are millions of people in this world today who've never even heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. They don't even know who Jesus is. They have never been taught what you've been taught. Have you ever woken up and said, thank you, God, I was born in America at the time and the place I was with the resources I have to have access to the gospel? Because God could have very, very easily had you grow up in a closed country where you had no access to the gospel. Think about how you take for granted and I take for granted the exposure we have to the Bible and the things we've been taught. Some of you have been taught you were a cubby, then you graduated to team kid, then you graduated to club 45, then you graduated to youth group, and then you're in college. You've been taught. Some of you, think about how many sermons you've heard over your life. Probably forgotten most of them. How many podcasts you've listened to, how many TV preachers you've listened to, how many books you've read. You've been taught more than a lot of people in this world. Do you take for granted what you've been taught? Does it go in one ear and out the other? The problem for most of us is we've been taught too much. We, we, we're taught beyond our obedience. We know so much information. We've been taught. If I were to go around and ask you, like, how many of you went to VBS? How many of you have been taught? How many conferences? If we added up the VBSs and the conferences and the concerts and the podcasts and the YouTube clips of everybody in this room, we'd have a lot of taught people. The question is, okay, does it impact the way we live our lives? Are we walking in repentance? Do we know what we believe and why? Okay, so here's a question. How do you get this assurance? How, how are you certain that things are true? How, how do you have the assurance that what these things are true? Let me tell you how not to find it. First of all, don't look inside. Don't look at yourself for the assurance. Don't look at yourself for the certainty, because if you look at yourself, you're going to be depressed. 
Don't look at your level of obedience. Don't look at your level of faithfulness. Don't look at yourself. That's not how you get certainty. That's not how you get assurance by looking at yourself. That's only going to lead to despair because it's going to fluctuate. So don't look at yourself for assurance. Don't look back at a point in time when you were a kid and you made a decision, you walked forward, you, you, you uh, signed a card, you got baptized, and, and all you're doing is looking back at that one point in time where you kind of did something. That certainty doesn't come by looking back to a point in time where you did something or by looking inside. Where does the certainty come? Well, what does Luke tell us to do? Does Luke here say, look inside? Luke says, listen, here's what I'm going to do with Theophilus. Here's how I'm going to give you the assurance. I'm going to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus from his birth to his life and every detail up to his death on the cross, his burial, and his ascension back up to the Father. So the way you get assurance is by looking at Jesus. You don't look inside. You don't look back to an experience. You look at Jesus. So what Luke's going to do is he's going to take us on a journey of looking at Jesus. Now, some of you may be thinking, this is going to be boring. There's everything, I, I know everything there is to know about Jesus. Are you sure? Anybody want to say that? What Luke's going to do, and I pray, this is my prayer, we would see Jesus with fresh eyes. We would be reintroduced to our Savior, who maybe we've become so comfortable with. We would have our eyes fixed upon him. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to have our eyes fixed on Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. We want to have certainty of the things that we believe. We want to know what we believe and why we believe it. We want to worship Jesus with a freshness and an awe. And see Jesus in action. And as you see Jesus in action, you're, you're joyful. So here's my prayer. I want your heads to be filled with the knowledge of Christ, but I also want our hearts to be filled with the love of Christ so that we can walk in obedience to Christ and worship Christ and love Christ. So maybe you don't know a lot about Jesus, or maybe you think you know a lot about Jesus. Luke's going to reintroduce us to him. I came across a story this past week in the Old Testament. King Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 20. The story of King Jehoshaphat, these invading armies are coming against Israel, and he's this king, and he calls the whole nation together, and he has a prayer meeting. And I love his prayer because it's the greatest prayer ever prayed. You ready for the prayer? Second Chronicles 20, 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. And I love the prayer. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Go home. Okay. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You ever felt like that before? I'm clueless, Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But one thing I'll do, my eyes are on you. Because when my eyes are on Jesus, that's where they need to be. And so corporately as a church family, as we go forward in the gospel of Luke, let this be our prayer. Jesus, our eyes are on you. We want to know what we believe and why we believe it, and that comes through keeping our eyes on 
you. You guys know Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus or keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So together as a church family, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we journey into the gospel of Luke so that we would have certainty of our salvation and joy of our salvation that leads to a life of obedience and worship to our King. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Father, we may be in in the place that Jehoshaphat was. We don't know what to do. We look at our nation and all the things that are going on right now. We may look at our own lives and our own families or our finances or our health or our our situations or interpersonal relationships. And Lord, we we look at the things that are facing us and that are staring us in the face and, and all we can say is, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But like Jehoshaphat, would we say, but my eyes are on you. Lord, increase my faith. Help my unbelief. Give me certainty that you're who you say you are, Jesus. Help me know what I believe and why. Work in my heart, Holy Spirit, to have this great assurance that you're on your throne, Jesus, and you're in control. Lord, we keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room today that has come into this place or somebody that's watching on the live stream that has never, ever trusted Christ for salvation, They've never surrendered their life to King Jesus and said, I give up trying to live my own life. I surrender. I come to Christ in faith. Lord, would that be a reality today? There would be those that would truly trust in you as their Lord and Savior. And they would have the joy of their salvation. They would know that they have eternal life. Would that be a reality today? Lord, grant us all grace to face what happens when we walk out these doors. Lord, we live in an uncertain world, a very uncertain world, a world that's going to shake us to our very foundation. And when we're shaken, we need to be able to have certainty of what we believe and why. And that only comes through you, Jesus. So help us keep our eyes fixed on you, our Lord and our Savior. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.